Hello. Hola. Before we get started this week, we have a review to shout out. Thank you, reviewer. If you leave us a review, you will get your very own Badass Lady Meter rating. So get get pumped. It's worth it. (laughs) Just head on over to Apple Podcasts. It's easy. Mm -hmm. This review is from... Cubone and Nachu Trainer Lannister fan. Wow, getting all that into one word. Yeah, that's a lot of uh, fandom. Impressed. <laughs> the the name that I use for everything is from a manga that I read when I was like thirteen, <laughs> and I'm still using it. Mine is from the Wayside School books. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. This review is great. It's it's kind of fascinating. It's all about the Dragon Rider film that came out in August, yeah. um, but is like seemingly impossible to find outside of Germany. Yeah. Um, so our rating for you, Kubone and Nachu Trainer Lannister fan, is someone sending you a mysterious email and you open it, but you know it's not spam and it's safe to click the link. And the link is to the Dragon Rider animated feature film, which you can watch on your computer. We wish that for you. Thank you. If you would like to leave us a review, you'll get a rating too. And we'd really appreciate it because it helps us find more folks and share the YA fantasy love. Plus it makes us so happy. Yeah. Don't you want to make us happy? Please. (laughs) We appreciate it. And now the episode. Hello. Hello. I'm Grace. I'm Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they may be even better for adults. That's right. This week, Charmed Life by Diana Wynne-Jones. This book was published in 1977, and it is the first book in the Crestomancy series, which consists of six novels and then a collection of short stories, and there are also different novelettes. So a lot of material um, there. They're, yeah, some are more loosely connected. Others, you're aware from the first page that you are in Crestomancy's world or one of the parallel worlds running alongside it. We also have an episode on Witch Week, the third book in the series. So if you haven't checked that out, run along and listen. Please check it out. We do thoroughly spoil every book we cover. So if you haven't read this one in a while or you'd like to revisit it, just go do that. Yeah, check it out. Madeline, would you like to provide a breakdown of how the publisher chose to package and promote our childhood edition of the book? I would. I The one that I did does not have this cover. It has a, I don't know why, but a lot of the audible um, audiobooks just, I feel like they choose the least good cover that exists for the book. Um, confusingly, and anyone who's more knowledgeable about the audiobook industry, please let us know if you have the answers to this. But sometimes it seems like they put something together themselves that isn't actually made by a publisher. So it's not like really professional quality. Exactly. And I mean, the, so the first I'll describe quickly the cover that I saw. It is through a window, you can see cat, you can see, um, there is a cat, but it doesn't look like a any kind of musical instrument. It's just a regular looking cat. And then he's holding um, 
I can't even see because the image is so small. It it's not bad, but it's just not super high quality. And that's the audible cover. It's it's kind of childlike. And I'm sorry, it's not audible. I read it on Scrib D. Um, but that to me looks like a poor man's take on the cover from my childhood edition. It it looks like all the elements are there it and it's like, framed the same way. It looks like a child drew it and won a contest and then they which I'm sure this didn't happen and I'm sure we're going to get yelled at by whoever did draw it. But if they listen to our podcast, I mean, to be fair, I don't think anyone we've ever talked smack about has heard the episode in which we knock on wood because we mostly talk smack about like audiobook cover illustrators. Yeah, it's pretty pretty niche smack talk it's specific. Um, but we're not bold. But the cover that from Grace's childhood edition, I didn't read this as a child, but it's the same one from the Witch Week. Uh, it's the same style. And uh, it looks really, really cool. There's there's a cat creeping around that looks a little weird. Like you can tell that the cat uh, is... Enchanted, possibly. Yeah, yeah. Enchanted musical instrument, fiddle. Um, and uh, then there's a mirror or a portal that a uh, cat is peering through. There's smoke wisping all about um, the little, the matchbook uh, with its... For uh, and well, yeah, the the it should be five burned, right? So the sixth match is burning in it, and there's all this smoke wisping all over the place, and they the stone is very embellished. It looks very real. It has a sort of hidden picture vibe to it, yeah. but a really richly illustrated one. Yeah, and I love it. The I really love the flowy red um, curtain. Or what that's, I'm not sure what if that's supposed to be something else or symbolic of something else. Uh, and uh, it reminds me of... Maybe the, it's a piece of one of Crestomancy's rich that's exactly, dressing gowns. That's exactly what I was thinking. Um, yeah. It rem- and Euphemia's there. Euphemia's there. There's a little frog or a big frog. Looks like a bullfrog sitting there peeping. Um, I love the flowy curtain in particular because it's very evocative of other covers in this series, especially right. it which ties week. in really nicely. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's a great cover. I think it's just ten out of ten. I I don't see anything wrong with it, honestly. Yeah, it's a um, it's a really good introduction to the series. I think um, you're- even the the text, uh, the way the text is lined up, is very very pleasing. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, and I I understand in the publishing industry why they have to put blurbs from friggin' J.K. Rowling on the front saying, like, I like this book, but I really prefer it when they don't because then you We're get... We're specifically talking about our Little White Horse episode. Yes. <laughs> and uh, I, I just so much prefer it when there's nothing on the cover that takes away from the magical feeling and Agreed. that's that's why I like this cover a lot. It's it's a whole piece, and just looking at it, you can feel it pulling you in, just being like, read this book. The artist uh, for these editions, the cover art is done by Greg Newbold. So we are going to go through a plot summary of the book for those who are not familiar, haven't read it in a while. This one, like all Diana Wynne Jones books, 
is a little convoluted because there are different worlds yeah. that you travel between and different versions of the same people that are from the different worlds that are going back and forth and all sorts of other magical hijinks. So I'm going to do my best. <laughs> the two main characters of this book are a brother and sister named Kat and Gwendolyn, and their last name is Chant. They have been orphaned due to a horrible boat accident in which their parents were killed. And they are sent to initially live with an older hedge witch who lives in their village. Um, But then it becomes clear that Gwendolyn has significant magical powers and needs to receive more advanced instruction. So they go to live with Crestomancy or the Crestomancy, an important enchanter who holds this position, who we'll learn more about. And they are sent to live in his fabulous castle with his children, his wife, and a tutor. Once at the castle, Gwendolyn becomes pretty quickly frustrated because she's not being treated like the be-all, end-all that she thinks she should be treated as. And in fact, her magic is taken away from her because she keeps carrying out increasingly... Uh, disturbed tricks. Yeah, she's being terrible. Um, to try to get Crestomancy's attention, to try to disrupt everyone who lives in the castle. Things like the windows all going dark for a few minutes, twice every hour for 24 hours, or all of the bread brought into <laughs> the castle turning into di- a variety of things. Um, and The apparitions. Creating these... Yeah. Horrible ghosts. Yeah. Um, turning insects and worms into full size monsters during an important dinner party. Um, just, oh, my favorite was moving all the trees from the surrounding town up against the castle. <laughs> yeah, the things that she does to mess with them are they're creative. Yeah, they're creative and they're, there's so much, they're just very hijinksy. For sure. Yeah. And say what you will about Gwendolyn, uh, and we will. <laughs> but yeah. she has a lot going on in her brain. She has a lot of ideas. She's very creative. She has a lot of confidence, and she's going to make them happen. She's not good, but she's very creative. So once her magic has been taken away, that's kind of the last straw for Gwendolyn, and she disappears, and a different... Gwendolyn appears in her place. Her name is Janet. Her name is Janet. (laughs) (laughs) And this is how Kat begins to learn about the fact that there are many different parallel worlds all lined up against one another. And through magical means, one can possibly switch places in another world with their counterpart there. So Janet has been living as a normal little girl, Um, She doesn't know anything about magic. She's from a world where there isn't magic. Um, And she has no idea how to handle everything that she's suddenly been plunged into. Um, She does a really good job. I'm impressed by Janet. She is very plucky. She's very resourceful. And she keeps at it, even though, I mean, she has to deal with daily... Well, everyone thinks she's Gwendolyn. Well, and she's constantly being, yeah, disliked and disrespected because Gwendolyn has been horrible to everyone, yeah. particularly Crestomancy's children, yeah. and Julia and Roger. Um, 
who continue to pull tricks on her because they think it's Gwendolyn. But then she also doesn't know anything about their world's history. So she has to be in class and get everything wrong yeah. and not even understand the basic events that <laughs> shaped their world. The teacher is like, you're even stupider than Gwendolyn. The teacher's like, you're getting worse. <laughs> yeah. I don't understand. Yeah. Um, and Janet and Kat, they get into their own difficulties created by Gwendolyn before she left. Um, one is that they owe a, a sketchy sort of gentleman 20 pounds because Gwendolyn purchased dragon's blood from him, which is also an illicit substance. Yeah. Um, another is that Gwendolyn turned one of the servants in the house, Euphemia, into a frog and while they do manage to set her right again, her lover comes to the castle and throws a lump of dough <laughs> down on Cat's floor and says, if you... This challenge is wild. If you don't meet me, I will be a tiger. You can appear however you like, but you need to come and fight me on Monday at 3 p.m. And if you don't, this dough is going to rise up and overtake you. And he would turn into a frog, right? And turn into a frog, I think. Yeah, yeah there's think something. There's a frog threat. He as would well. turn into a frog, and then the doe would do something bad <laughs> that I forget because I was just like, what? What? <laughs> but then the doe is such a funny visual that's just sitting in yeah. the cat's room for mm-hmm. the rest of the book. <laughs> yeah. As a, great. as a reminder that Monday is coming. I mean, mm-hmm. one that we all have constantly. Uh. Uh, so they're getting more and more enmeshed in a variety of different promises and frightening looming events. And they are feeling like they can't tell anyone, any of the adults about what happened, um, because they don't trust anyone because the people that were taking care of them in the village before they came to Crestomancy's castle, um, seemed to have their own sort of agenda that is maybe different from Crestomancy's. Crestomancy doesn't tell them anything. No one's really upfront with them. They don't know who's good or who's bad or what's going on. Yeah. And ultimately, Mr. Nostrum, who was Gwendolyn's magic teacher prior to them moving to the castle, tells them that Crestomancy has some sort of unfair hold over greater the greater magics. Mm-hmm. And in order for them to break it so that everyone can have access to magic, which sounds, you know, at the time, like, okay, yeah, that sounds reasonable. He's a, he's a bad faith libertarian (laughs) when it comes down to it. He's like, oh, magic should be free for everyone. (laughs) But when it it actually is, is he just wants to be able to. He wants it for himself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He actually wants to hoard it. And he says that in order to do this, Kat needs to break into Crestomancy's special garden, Mm -hmm. which he hasn't been in before. And Kat isn't really sure what's going on, but he does know that they need to figure out how to get Janet home, where Gwendolyn is, how they can fix some of these problems. So they do end up, Janet and Kat, going to the garden. Shortly beforehand, they realized that the matchbook that they found before they moved to the castle is actually Eric's lives. He has nine lives. and Because he's a powerful enchanter. Because he's an enchanter, too. And 
at that point, five of them have been used. The matchsticks are burnt up. And Eric thinks through the different moments in his life that those likely represented. He almost died when he was born. He almost drowned. And then he's a little confused about some of the other ones. Mm -hmm. So as a really foolish experiment, he lights one on fire, (laughs) which lights him on fire. Oh, buddy. And uses up another match. So he has three remaining. Ah, the follies of youth burning away your matchbook of nine lives. lives. It's tough. (laughs) Puberty is rough, man. Puberty, man. (laughs) Um, So at that point, Janet is also, who's very rational and is able to figure things out very quickly, I think because she's so unused to this magical world. So she's very rule-driven. Yeah. Um, Figures out that Kat also is magical in his own right. Mm -hmm. And they decide, okay, we're going to try to figure out what's up with the garden. Mm -hmm. So they go to the garden by walking at it sideways because it moves around much like a later moving castle that Diana and Jones would write about. Um, And there, everything just kind of explodes. They go into the world where Gwendolyn is and see that she there has become a queen, which was always her desire. And she was always saying that one day she would be a queen. Um, But she's horrible and cruel and mistreating people. And it's a big disaster. They get pulled back into the garden by Mr. Nostrum, who's like, oh, good, you came. Like, let's tear this place down and at that point they chain up cat crestomancy appears to try to help they tie him up and they're like all right let's kill this kid because that's what we need to do to set this magic free um and at that point they realize that cat has multiple lives because gwendolyn appears and she's like no it's fine we'll just use them all up and cat who had been thinking that gwendolyn had set up this clever trap because she knew he had more lives left, so he would ultimately be okay, mm. realizes, oh, she doesn't care about me. Yeah. My, my only remaining family. She's a horrible person. Plans on killing me. Um, so a battle ensues, and everyone from Christmancy's family in the castle comes and fights against all these other sorcerers, enchanters, necromancers, warlocks, <laughs> witches, who have come together to try to overthrow Christmancy. Yeah. Um, and they succeed, and through the battle, Cat realizes ways to start accessing some of his own power, which Gwendolyn has been leeching out of him his entire life. So he's never even really had the chance to access it or figure any of it out. Yeah. Um, And in the end, Janet, who had briefly been sent back to her home, is pulled back with everybody. And she says, this is actually preferable because I realized when I was home that my parents hadn't even noticed that it wasn't me all this time. And that was tough. And it sounds like her parents are strict and uh, as far as she's concerned, too nosy. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So she's happy to be back in this world with Kat, who she has become very close to. And Crestomancy says, you know, we've been looking for the next Crestomancy for a long time. We thought we were going to have to bring someone from another world, but it's you, Kat. It's so you. Now your real training can begin. Yeah. And there's a very funny line when Janet says, isn't it a hereditary position? And he says, no, this is a government <laughs> office. <laughs> Which is exactly why I call uh, Mr. Ostrom a libertarian, because he's being like, we shouldn't be beheld to these regulations. Yeah, the rules and regulations set forth by our government. Mm -hmm. Um, And the Crestomancy position, I think, is an important and healthy one. I don't think that they're harming anyone. 
<laughs> no, they it's actually very helpful. They seem to be lawful good alignment, which is yeah. like what you actually want your government to be. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and he's really a man of the people because he's pulled wherever anyone needs him at any time. All they have to do is say his name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so thus ends the first book in the Crestomancy series Man, with God. everyone having a lovely lunch in the garden. Yes, which is a, a very Diana Wynne-Jones way to end a book. Everyone coming together and then... And kind of muddling through some things and figuring things out and then yeah. being like, okay, let's... Time have, to eat. Yeah, let's have supper. Yeah, yeah. So, old and new impressions. Madeline, you did not read this book. Can you remind me, did you read any of the Crestomancy books when you were young? I read Witch Week. Only because, Witch Week. Because there is a cool, I'm pretty sure I read Witch Week. Now people can go back and listen to it. Yeah, check listen the episode. To me, so I did not read this I, I book. Think you, I think you did. I think I did because... Uh, I, I read it like once a month, so it was always around. Um, well, yeah. And also there was a really awesome cover of a woman on a broomstick mm-hmm. in like a flowing robe. So, of course, that yanked me right Which is in. actually just a pink blanket from the dormitory. But it looks oh, yeah. so beautiful. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. Um, yeah, and Witch Week is an interesting, and I think um, very appealing uh, entry to the series in a lot of ways. Because for one, it has kind of a limited connection to Crestomancy and can be read as just like a really weird school book. Yeah, um, yeah, because it happens like boarding like school book isolated in a different world where like everything is haywire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but then it also like, I think which week of the whole series, which does have a lot of similarities to Harry Potter written way earlier, by the way, guys, way earlier, um, at least most of the books there, there are a few later ones that were, that were published after well, the Harry Potter books. In but. this one, I can, I did read Harry Potter as a child and uh, what, like every single one of these books that I read, I'm like, Oh, this is similar to Harry Potter. Look at that. It came out before Harry Potter. (laughs) Um, Is the way that Crestomancy keeps Cat in the dark to protect him. Totally. Um, And it reminds me of Dumbledore and Harry because Mm -hmm. that always like really frustrated me whenever Dumbledore does that in the books, Mm -hmm. like to keep Harry in the dark. And it's like, dude, he's going to do stuff on his own. You have to tell him what's going on. Yeah. Um, And I got a little bit of a similar feeling in this book because Cat wants to be good mm-hmm. but is so lost as far like he's missing so much information yeah. and he has like he considers the wrong people to have his interest at heart yeah. um i just felt really bad for cat for most of the book so yeah. i was really happy that there was a nice happy ending for him and that gwendolyn didn't come back yeah. i was like i really don't want him to have to deal with gwendolyn anymore um, and Janet actually wants him as a yeah, brother. So his sibling and confidant. Yeah. Partner yeah. in crime. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, my old new impressions are, are similar in that I rereading this was really struck by how upsetting their parents' death is yeah. and the uh, emotional trauma that really results from that for Kat specifically, because obviously he and Gwendolyn both experienced that. And the reason they didn't die, so they say at the time, is because Gwendolyn was a witch, so mm-hmm. she could float them away. Yeah. But it was actually Kat and, she used his and magic. Gwendolyn saving them, because Gwendolyn does have magic. 
But and she has like the procedural, practical knowledge to be able to she use cat's is magic. Really crafty. Yeah. I mean, the fact that as a child, without any assistance from anyone, she put all of his lives into different or some of them into it's different pretty places. Impressive. Yeah. Um, She's she, very skilled. She just doesn't have much. Well, natural I, magical I, w- I would say, yeah, she's very creative and a great researcher. Mm. Um, but then the to- she doesn't really possess the tools to carry out what actually needs to be done. Yeah. So she's borrowing those from Kat. Yeah. And if she would have just filled Kat in, then I'm sure that he would have been willing to join together with her, but she wasn't willing to give him any power. She wanted it all. That's yeah. the thing. Yeah. With her, it's very all or nothing. Like she wants to be queen. She wants to be the best. She wants to be the most most respected she wants to be carried around on a golden throne while Literally. she like sends people to their death yeah <laughs> for looking at her the wrong way or yeah. whatever um meanwhile eric comes away from his pa- so okay so these are the two ways in which they respond to their parents being killed gwendolyn more than ever i, I think it seems like she always had these tendencies of like delusions of grandeur yeah um but more than Ever, she feels, okay, this is my time. I have to take care of myself. I need to make sure that I become queen, that I receive everything that I think I'm entitled to. Mm-hmm. And she really becomes more independent. Cat, on the other hand, there's a heartbreaking little passage at the beginning where he says that he felt Gwendolyn was being a little more motherly and he really appreciated that because he was so feeling... Lonely. Sad. pretty alone without parents suddenly and mrs sharp the woman that they live with for some time who isn't you know she's not the greatest character i mean she's she, not evil she's not evil but she's also and she tries to help them especially cat i think mm-hmm. in, in the ways that she can but she's not going to confront like mr nostrum or actually help them figure out what's really afoot you can really tell diana jones does a very good job with this minor character in this book uh showing the backstory that this person didn't want to be a parent like didn't have those tools Mm -hmm. and it was thrust upon them and they kind of like they try to do what they do but it's not like she's not really their parent no, like she's most concerned when they're going to go to live with Crestomancy. Because she's getting an allowance yes. from the city for taking mm-hmm. care of them. Yeah. Yeah. She does in her letter to Kat say later, you know, it's not at this point, I'm not concerned about not getting the money for not taking care of you anymore. I, but I do miss you yeah. and I do care about you. Yeah. Um, and I think she sends him some of the upsetting gingerbread cookies. Yes. <laughs> love we'll talk about that (laughs) um but cat is just yearning for a parent Mm -hmm. or and beyond that for someone who will show him some affection and make him feel safe and i think so this book felt a lot sadder to me rereading it as as an an adult adult. yeah Um, because as a kid you just kind of take that and you're like okay right and it's still a delightful book. It's very funny. I think this is one of Diana Wynne Jones's 
funniest books. Yeah, that we've it's read. a very funny book. Um, it made me laugh out loud frequently, um, especially the different, like the specific tricks that Gwendolyn pulls. But yes. then also, Crestomancy as a character is so arch, and he takes yeah. everything people say literally, mm-hmm. um, often to great comic effect. There were definitely some like kind of Monty Python feeling moments related to Crestomancy. Um, and then also the increasingly stressful <laughs> financial and like personal safety situation that Janet and Kat get into is just really, really funny. Yes, they they get into trouble. Like they owe a debt to this really <laughs> scary, really like man. black market sketchy dude. Yeah. Um, and then there's the whole tiger situation <laughs> with the clay and the frog. And I love the passage where Mr. Nostrum is trying to get Kat to promise to show up at the garden to help them break the magic free and Kat's like okay but in return will you loan me 20 pounds (laughs) (laughs) and Mr. Nostrum is like whatever what yeah like I don't care care." and the cat's like also can you turn me into a flea on Monday at 3 p.m. And Mr. Nostrum is like, yes, fine. Just just promise, okay? Yeah. (laughs) Um, And that was so recognizable to me too as like the sort of stressful place that I would work myself up into sometimes when I was younger and still do today over like kind of minute (sighs) things but they felt at the time so all encompassing constantly doing that yeah yeah (laughs) so I appreciate seeing it in a humorous light yeah as opposed to the way it is in my own head which seems very scary it kind of reminded me of a type of dream I often have where Tasks are just accumulating and I can't seem to take care of them. And I think some of this is, I I actually had one last night that was um, a food service dream. And like, those are always the most stressful and ridiculous. And I I think anyone who's worked in food service can attest. Yeah. (laughs) Especially those like little tiny tasks that like, of course they don't, it doesn't matter if you remember to give mayonnaise to table 42, (laughs) but if you don't, then like, you're like, Oh my God, they're going to write a negative Yelp review and I'm going to get like, it's just. And for me, it's like the mounting tickets and like, you can never possibly finish them. Mm -hmm. Um, And last night in my dream, I was, uh, Uh, like I was a caterer um, and I was trying to like first the list of preferences by seat went missing Um, and then I was trying to take salads out to people and I was asking okay do you want the two options were the cantaloupe salad or the watermelon salad I don't know why weird restaurant and then I turned and looked at the salads and they were all just like cheese with blueberries in them (laughs) had that sort of vibe I'm sorry I'm done talking about my dream but I think it's important to illustrate the similar feeling that this book gave me and the way it makes me chuckle to think about yeah that's very funny I also I really appreciate revisiting this because I didn't so the books of the Crestmancy series that I read the most often were Witch Week number one Far and Away that was one of my very favorite books when I was young Mm -hmm. Um, and then The Magicians of Caprona um, which is set in a sort of Italian-ish town because it's a different Italy um, than than ours because again it's like different world alternate history um, where the magicians sing their magic like that's how they cast spells it's really lovely sounds like a Zelda game it's a really lovely book um 
but I I haven't read this very important introduction to the series that many times. Um, And it's cool to go back and revisit the rules. And it's also very funny to me because you think, I would say, after reading this book, that the rest of the Crestomancy books are going to be about about Eric as Crestomancy, but it's all Christopher Chant, the rest of the series. That's funny. Um, And... Something that I noticed in this book, a line that I really loved, um, was that was Christopher saying to Eric, the Christomancy must be a strong enchanter, but he must also have a strong personality. (laughs) Which he he does. He definitely does. He really does. Um, And I love that line. I felt that that was kind of... uh, metatextual like you know if you're gonna write a character like this he's gotta be a good one (laughs) hold your attention oh that's cute throughout this year yeah no i think you're right so yeah those were the those were the pieces that i loved most on reread um i also want to talk about diana and jones's incredible skill as always we proselytize that she should be one of the best known fantasy authors and we will continue to do so i did notice there was a wonderful amazon review for this book that i was like did i write this um a five-star review left by neil page it is a literary crime that diana Wynne jones is not a household name each of her books is a treasure i wish hbo would adapt charmed life into a miniseries maybe having her name attached to such a project would boost readers awareness of her wonderful catalog of work yeah i mean i don't I like the specifics <laughs> it should be hbo <laughs> i know yeah like, but i think that's to communicate move like, up for game of thrones <laughs> I think that's to communicate the uh, like budget and care and consideration yes. that should be put into the series. Well, yeah, and because... Um, Which would be incredible, by be- the way, but I'm not holding my breath. No, no, but um, uh, Tamara Pierce series mm-hmm. coming someday. Possibly, possibly someday. Really? We'll please, please, universe, you owe me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, come on. I mean, come on. This week alone uh, for our... It's, uh, it's been real. Our American listeners in particular. <laughs> It's been a lot. What a ride. We're recording this on Sunday, October 4th, 2020, for future reference. Oh, boy. Um, But, uh, yeah, and I also think that a new tack that I'm going to take in terms of pushing Diane Wynne-Jones on readers young and old is the... Do you like Harry Potter? Mm. Do you want something better than Harry Potter that isn't written by a known transphobe. And that is much more succinct. Um, it's more succinct, but it's also more rich. Right. That's the thing is that I, and I don't dislike books that are long. Like sometimes I really want a book that I can spend a long time with, but the, these books are just so seamless there, there aren't cracks. There aren't chapters that you're like, oh, this wasn't really important and doesn't, you know, assist the plot and it's kind of boring. Like, there, there's no such thing as that in Diana Wynne Jones' books. No, she's they're just, so tight. She's just remarkably talented. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying this in a way to specifically diss Harry Potter. Like J.K. Rowling aside, I do think no, that there is value in the Harry Potter books, yeah, and we loved them sure. when we were young too, and they're still yeah. important to me on some level. Mm-hmm. I'm still figuring out how to grapple with how the to think stuff. about them now. But yeah, but I just think that for 
kids and others who love Harry Potter and are like, I wish there was something like this. I really think the Crestomancy series is the place to go next. Yeah. I really, really, really feel that. Yeah. Um, you can start with Witch Week if you want to be specifically in a school, a magical non-magical training environment but everyone secretly has magic it's great i mean witchcraft is forbidden and yet they're all witches it's amazing it's really really listen to that premise yeah um and that is the perfect segue to my next point which is that diana Wynne jones writes children characters Mm. better than almost anyone yeah because almost every single one of her protagonists is a child child. someone like under the age of 14 mm-hmm. I would say is like the generally the max age yeah um, even even when you're dealing with griffins they're teenagers right right <laughs> um, and uh, they never feel repetitive Madeline and I were talking about this before recording but I feel like most child characters can be boiled down into like like five different types yeah. there's like bully kid, shy kid, um, like teacher's pet kid, uh, misunderstood kid. Um, I don't know what five is. I'm just pulling these out of nowhere. <laughs> but well, No, it's, it's true. Or they're just um, like childed down versions of adults. Right. And they behave the way that adults do. Right. Not the way that children do. Exactly. And this gets back to what I was talking about with the way that they're getting into these increasingly ridiculous schemes and feeling very stressed about it. But they approach them the way children do. They, yeah. they don't think about them as adults. They hide things from they're adults. They're hiding Because they things. don't want to get in trouble. And that <laughs> Again is, and again, they don't want to get in trouble. Like That's the driving force for much of the action One, in Kat and Janet's lives. And I can empathize with it so extremely because that was one of my driving motivations mm-hmm. as a child was like, I got to, I can't get in trouble. I really don't want to get in trouble. Like I <laughs> need to do the thing that won't make that happen. Totally. That was, yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned that because that was also something I wanted to bring up. I was not able to misbehave because oh, I was... Yeah afraid yeah and yes we've talked talked about stealing library books from our school libraries but even that clearly is still lingering with me i (laughs) mentally and emotionally i spent years after um i left saint john's which was my junior high uh being like my teacher is gonna call me up and be like you stole my books Totally. Yeah. I I mean, I think in all of middle school, which is what I'm thinking about specifically, because that was the only time where I felt like maybe I could misbehave in some way. Mm. I think there was one day where my friends and I cut gym and just sat in the locker room because we needed to study for a pop quiz. We'd heard rumor <laughs> through the rumor mill was, was it, going to happen was that it, afternoon. Were you correct? Yeah. Um, and like, that's not even that bad. And also we did it to study. We did it to learn. (laughs) We did it for a pop quiz. Yeah. It's just, it's so ridiculous. Um, we used to, when I was in high school and there was a pep rally, we would go and sit in the theater guys. Um, he was like the theater director that worked for the school. We would just go and sit in his office, even though he wasn't there during the Mm day. Um, and even then, even though no one cared, like we were being perfectly safe, we're sitting on the floor, like... (laughs) 
She's not even using chairs. You know what can go wrong with a chair. <laughs> like just laughing. And even then I would still get really freaked out. Like, oh my God, what if a janitor finds us? Like, well, I'll get suspended. Yeah, totally. I also in high school did cut a lot of pep rallies. Um, yeah, but that's okay. But that's come fine. on. Yeah, I don't need to go to the pep and, rallies. And cutting them showed just how nerdy and rule abiding I still was because it's not like we left. It's not like we went to like Subway across right. the street or something. No, we went we to somewhere. We went to our theater uh, director's office, same. Or <laughs> we went to, <laughs> there was an art club that my friends and I were involved in. Um, and the moderator, worked for our school's like uh, marketing department mm. um, and we would go to her office nice. and just sit with her while she worked. Yeah, and I mean like these are these are things that are totally okay to be doing, like maybe even preferable to a pep rally because at least instead of sitting there consumed with rage <laughs> and unhappiness yeah. and anxiety, like we yeah. were enjoying ourselves. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so anyway, that's the extent of our uh, delinquency as childhood youngins. cutting up. Um, Yeah, but I I really, really recognize that impulse um, to fear getting in trouble and through the fearing of getting in trouble, get into stickier and stickier scrapes because Gwendolyn is just an agent of chaos and she doesn't care at all about getting in trouble, but she set all of these things in motion before she pieced out from that reality. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's an amazing premise. And speaking of Gwendolyn, I feel like it takes a lot of chutzpah to write a character like this. Who is like this terrible of a person. Yeah, and almost one of the protagonists, but then becomes the primary antagonist and has no remorse or even pause Mm -hmm. about needing to kill her brother because that's how she sees it. She needs to do that in order to become queen become the most powerful etc there is an inherently flawed logic there because it's his power that she's been using to be great so i'm not totally sure what she thinks is going to happen i mean i guess she she feels like she'll only need it one more time and or something like that but you're right i also thought about that like well but she needs him around well and there's probably also some sibling rivalry and competitiveness there mm. because he has what she wants Wanted. yeah which is the the most significant power and because their parents were second cousins i think is the official okay story i, I thought maybe they were first cousins <laughs> maybe first we're cousins of some sort um yeah. it's more likely that all of their children or both of their children would be enchanters and have magical powers yeah um yeah, because they're from the same family and weirdly also from Crestomancy. So yeah, magic. It's very funny when it seems like that's going to be important and the Crestomancy is just like, no, it's just weird. Yeah. <laughs> just yeah. a coincidence. With the letters. <laughs> and he had written to their father when they were really young and or before they were born and mm. said that he could ensure that his children would be born without magic because he controls people's magic abilities and the use of magic and uh and he wasn't happy with that yeah no (laughs) the dad was like absolutely not and that's why he didn't look more closely at eric and figure out that he would be the next questomancy yeah um but yeah i do i do really enjoy gwendolyn as a character and i enjoy her counterpart janet too yeah Um, and i enjoy cat even though he is sometimes frustratingly passive but i think it's for all the emotional trauma reasons that 
we were talking about earlier that yeah. he is that way because he's just yeah looking for love and safety. And I just like I've I understand him so much. Like he's just trying to get by, and I I respect him for having to make the decisions that he does. I do too, and uh, it all works out. Yeah, yeah. No, it actually all works out great. <laughs> so. Let's talk about animals, oh, just like animals, animals in this book. We haven't mentioned the very funny <laughs> dragon. I listened to some of the audiobook. His voice. And the dragon's voice was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> they said something about, like, that must be the most spoiled dragon in the world. I'm the only yes. dragon in the world. <laughs> it was great um and i like how he's just kind of hanging around that's that's (laughs) his whole deal chilling in the tutor's office i'm sorry i can't remember his name metal thinks it's thomas um thomas sewell no because william sewell is the name of the baker who threatens eric (laughs) i think I know William Shugs. I have no idea. We should not continue yeah, down this we should line. Leave this. And the dragon is small and maybe young. It's kind of confusing. Too too little for blood to be pulled from. Yeah. Well, but didn't didn't either the tutor or Crestomancy rescue it after mm-hmm. its mother was killed? Yeah, Crestomancy does. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So from that's why a different world. Yeah, so um, that's why the dragon's around. Yeah, uh, and is very cute. Um, also, kind of scary. This dragon hypnotizes Janet and is like talks about eating them. Should I eat her? <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, the dragon really just pops up at kind of random moments, but I enjoy the dragon being there. And it's the dragon that makes Kat realize that Gwendolyn is still pulling his power from him during the final battle, which is why they're losing because his power is being used against Against him. him. Uh, And that moment of Gwendolyn screaming, stop it. And he's like, oh, shut up. Yeah. (laughs) One who's been stealing this from me my entire life. It's like stolen identity to the max. it's pretty despicable. Yeah, yeah, and I, I like that a lot also because it's it's a very Diana Wynne Jones. Uh, like this is actually what's going on behind the scenes, mm-hmm. and then you find out about it, and everything clicks into place. Um, totally. And uh, yeah, I love the dragon um, fiddle, mm-hmm. his cat, uh, or his fiddle. Was it actually a fiddle? violin? It was a violin. Yeah. yeah. Um, Cat's violin is around. Crestomancy put him in the garden because he was like, "Oh, this is this is a life. This is cat." <laughs> so I'm confused about how many lives he actually has. Well, so I think that the way it works is that one of the cat is one of the unburned matches. I think. Oh, okay, okay. But or maybe not. Maybe the it was just transferred from. Maybe it is one of the burned ones, and it was transferred from the match to the cat. I that makes more yeah. sense. Um, I can't remember exactly what Gwendolyn says at the end about it. But either way, fiddles around. Um, there is Euphemia gets turned into a frog. Uh, poor Euphemia. Yeah, poor poor Euphemia. Um, and uh, what other animals? Um, this is a, a an animal uh, light animal one, light. actually. Yeah. <laughs> Especially coming off the little white horse, which which is my yeah, god, <laughs> luscious with animals. Uh, just so many sidekicks following along at all times. Yeah, but that also makes sense because the world that they live in isn't 
too different from ours, mm-hmm. other than the fact that um, there's magic. Right. Because there's, there's only one dragon because he was brought from another world. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it's hard to get into the argument of like how similar to our world the worlds are because there are others in the yeah. other books that are more similar. Okay. Um, this, so, so yeah, I think technically the label that Diana Wynne Jones gives this world um, is 12A. Okay. Um, and yeah, so 12A is, it's it's a similar world to ours. It has the same British government, but it's also set about 100 years earlier. Right. Um, okay. So there is like, yeah, a sort of steampunky vibe to it. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it, magic is very frequent mm-hmm. and plentiful. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there, there's plenty of plenty of different worlds. And like we mentioned, the one in Witch Week is like a world that shouldn't have existed. Right. Um, that was accidentally created when Guy Fawkes successfully blew up the Houses of Parliament. Yes. Yeah. Which is another really fun, just like, what? <laughs> Um, so yeah, speaking of magic, we haven't really talked about the magic system specifically, but it is, so people can have magical ability. They can also take it from others. They can also learn it. I think it's free flowing in the world in such a way that you can manipulate it if you have the proper knowledge and tools like Mm -hmm. we were talking about Mm -hmm. um so it's also interesting that Gwendolyn can play at being a very powerful sorcerer um even like under Crestomancy's nose but Crestomancy kind of knew what was happening but he wanted Kat to show what he knew so that they understood what the situation was which I get because Kat to them probably seems like really volatile and dangerous and they're like what is this kid up to? Kat actually has knows literally less than anyone else around (laughs) about everything yeah and that gets back to the like Dumbledore and Harry problem that you were talking about where mm-hmm. it's like I couldn't tell you you needed to learn on your own yeah, it's like, okay Dumbledore well <laughs> this this book could have been shorter <laughs> well but that happens throughout the whole series until he dies until Dumbledore dies so like they're it, all pretty long books <laughs> on and on. I was happy that that resolved at the end of this book and also a piece of it is that Crestomancy isn't an especially forthcoming person mm-hmm. as Kat says when he's being the vaguer he's being the more he can tell that he's actually thinking hard about something yeah, yeah. Um, so no it's it's very absent-minded mm-hmm. uh professor and it reminds me of the way that he has I, a lot to think about and right focus on. it's sort of like a gandalf type figure yes gandalf's gonna pop in and out because gandalf has a lot of plays spinning Lots and you just have to understand that <laughs> crestomancy is literally called away at any moment throughout his life, no matter what he's doing, yeah. which makes sense when he's always in a beautiful outfit. Yeah. Because he needs to yeah, he, pres- appear presentable. Right. He could be somewhere where that's pretty important. <laughs> um, yeah. And I, I'll always love when he, I'm sorry, I keep talking about which week is one of my favorite books ever. Um, when he appears in a beautiful cream suit and the two teenage girls are like, Oh, <laughs> hello. <laughs> Yeah. Hi. <laughs> and I love even his dressing gowns are like so fancy. That's that's a lot of fun. His his wardrobe and just the way that his persona is is a strong personality. Yeah, it's really fun. Uh so speaking of cat's powers, let's move on to pretend food. Pretend food. 
the most food we get in this book is actually enchanted food um, yeah. because food becomes a primary way that Gwendolyn and then Julia try to enact revenge on one another. Mm-hmm. Um, so Gwendolyn, as we mentioned earlier, catches up with the boy coming on his bicycle from the bakery with loaves of bread. And then every time a loaf of bread is cut into, it turns into something which starts off as like mice um, and other weird creatures. But then she runs out of ideas and it just becomes cheese. <laughs> <laughs> but old bad cheese specifically. Yeah, not not the kind of nice cheese so that you'd be happy it's to have. still unpleasant. But yeah. Um, Then there's a passage where Gwendolyn turns Julia's dress into snakes and soup pours over the snakes. Really, again. The soup kind of mollifies them and helps them manage the situation. Um, But there's just, yeah, there's a lot of like food mess. And there's a lot of like the kinds of things that Gwendolyn does. I think we've already said this. Say it again. They're just so childlike. They make sense for an evil child to be doing these things Mm -hmm. because that's the creativity that they're working with. Exactly. And then in her turn, Julia turns Janet, who she thinks is Gwendolyn's, food into disgusting things so typically like mud rocks um they try to eat some uh dumplings and it becomes a white pebble and mud but cat can just pick up the plate and put it in front of himself and then it becomes good again Mm -hmm. and he thinks that it's (laughs) Poor little cat. He thinks that it's just some, yeah, coincidence. Like, it wasn't meant for him, so it's changing. But Julia's also like, what are you doing? How are you doing? Right. And he doesn't even know. That's how strong his magic is. It's magic seeping out of him all over the place. Yeah. Um, They also have, uh, as we said, a wonderful lunch feast that ends the book, which is not magical at all, but it's very delicious. Do you have a food quote? I do. What do you say to a little lunch? Millie asked Miss Bessemer. It must be nearly two o'clock. Agreed, said Miss Bessemer, and made a stately half turn toward the butler. He nodded. The footmen and the gardeners staggered forward with great hampers like laundry baskets, which, when the lids were thrown back, proved to be full of chickens, hams, meat pies, ice cream, fruit, and wine. Oh, beautiful, (laughs) said Roger. And speaking of Julia and Roger, um, so unfortunately, something that does crop up a lot in Diana Wynne Jones's books is fat shaming. Yeah, um, there's a lot of fat shaming, and they are talked about in a pretty cruel way. Yeah, um, starting like, with when we learn that they're not allowed to have marmalade um, because they say that someone said it, they were too fat and they weren't allowed to have marmalade. Um, and the way it it's interesting because in this book they're she talks detrimentally about the fat children, but they are also good characters ultimately. Like they're not bad guys. So there is, yeah, they're not coded as fat equals bad. Right. Which does happen in some Diana Wynne Jones books. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Which is why I noticed that. And Mm -hmm. at first I figured they were going to be bad because Mm -hmm. I was like, Oh, she has a thing Mm -hmm. and like, she's going to make them into bad people. Yeah. Um, So at least that wasn't there. I agree. I totally agree. But there was no need to, yeah, to yeah. It be was so unnecessary. I mean, they're yeah. they're very thoroughly characterized as like plain and unattractive because and it's like remarkable that Crestomancy is their father, 
Right. But then their mother is also coded as or discussed as plain and unattractive. But um, and she is also like a very, very kind right. person. She is so lovely. So yeah. that maybe there is an interesting message there about appearances. Yeah, maybe she was even like telling reminding herself. <laughs> because in the end, Roger and Julia, I mean, even while they still think Janet is Gwendolyn, they take Kat under their wings mm-hmm. and yeah. invite him to play with them. Yeah, they they take care of him in a way that he really, really needs. They play living toy soldiers together, which sounds very fun, and I do really appreciate that um, Julia's soldiers just run away. Because she's, she's like, like, why wouldn't they? That's what should happen. Warriors are dumb. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they take him to their special treehouse and definitely make him feel included. So yeah. even though they were ancillary characters um, and did have some unfortunate introduction, I did grow to appreciate them. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, and this book was written in or released in 1977, and there is some other problematic language yeah, used some in uncomfortable it. racial themes that are not good. Yeah, a couple. They're like both really small asides, mm-hmm. but um, just a note for anyone who is going to be rereading this, and just to call it out, just put it out there. Yeah, yeah, and we just want to mention it. Um, yeah, yeah, a way in which this book has not aged well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that covers everything for pretend food. So, well, in in conjunction with the refusal of marmalade, they have to have what they call really a boring breakfast of just hot chocolate and toast. And I'm over here like hot chocolate for hot breakfast. Chocolate and toast sounds that's a French breakfast. Pretty good to me. Yeah, yeah, I'm on board. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, my breakfast right now is just toast, no hot chocolate. So. Yeah, usually peanut butter toast. Yeah, and too. Yeah, hot chocolate sounds better than peanut butter toast. I mean, and I love peanut butter. Yeah, toast. I it's, don't dislike it. It's a great way for me to start the day. But I don't know. We're old, I guess. Our, yeah. our tums can't I'm handle very, such. I have to eat peanut butter toast so that I don't get a stomach ache from the 10 pills that I take in the morning. <laughs> Yay. Yeah. Your 30s. Madeline's about to turn 30. Woo. Happy birthday, Madeline. Get excited for more pills. <laughs> the, the super not fun kind. <laughs> Let's be clear. Okay, badass lady meter? Yes. It, I mean, my badass lady is Janet because of and my rating for her is do you want to uh, elucidate why? My rating for her is going to elucidate why. And then I will explain after I'm done explaining how I will explain it. I rate her the ability to literally fall into a parallel universe and do a better job than some people who live in that universe at being there. (laughs) And that's why I think she's so amazing is that she just, she hops in and yeah, she has some trouble, the kind of trouble you'd assume someone would have if you're Mm -hmm. in a parallel universe with some changes, but she does an incredible job to the point where by the end of the book, she's okay with staying and she is so good that the clincher for that was that the person who took her place was so much happier there because she had had a really bad reality that she came from. Right, right. Yeah, because she had been an orphan. Yeah. So I think that's really incredible. Yeah. Agree. Yay, Janet. Yeah. Um, I don't know. There are a lot of good female characters. Uh, I think I'll just fulfill the... Uh, 
opportunity to present Gwendolyn as my badass lady um, because she is Janet's other, one of her other selves. Um, Gwendolyn is diabolical. I mean, she's a little child dictator, but she is very entertaining. Um, And like we said, she's creative. She introduces so much disarray to the castle. (laughs) I also, there's something very appealing about your parents or parental figures, guardians, whatever, having a, an important dinner and you've been told to like, leave them alone, be quiet and be out of the way. And you blow a spider, a worm, a slug up into, um, beasts, uh, like elephant sized beasts yeah. and send them slowly downstairs, followed by horrific ghouls that are the specters of your brother's lives that you've taken from him. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's no, just the disruptive like scratching an itch that I yes. feel like every kid has at some point. You are completely right. And that's why it feels so good when she did that. Cause it's just so gleefully childishly chaotic. Um, and you're disrupting the adults and they have to pay attention to you. And she's trying so hard to get a rise out of Crestomancy and he won't give it to Mm -hmm. her um which he's doing intentionally because eric hears him being angry Mm -hmm. off screen yeah (laughs) and it is getting to him but like he just won't give her the satisfaction yeah um i'm not saying that she's good by any means uh she is bad she tries to kill her brother and is a parasite on him (laughs) for his entire life um but you know she has a lot of fun along the way yeah yeah, she is definitionally a badass. Um, my rating for Gwendolyn is a comeuppance. A comeuppance that will lead her to recognize her relative place in the world. And fix herself. And let go of these delusions and just celebrate who she is instead of trying to control people or force a false reality. Yeah. Yeah. So a negative rating, I guess. Not negative exactly, but well, something to set her right. Right. Exactly. I think that's everything for Charmed Life, or as the audiobook calls it, A A Charmed Charmed Life. Life. (laughs) If you have any insight in that, please feel free to share. made us really uh, confused about whether it was the right book. I was befuddled. We have had... Many requests for more Crestomancy books, so I'm sorry I didn't pull everyone's names, but we appreciate all of you who have written in and requested one of these books. Um, we'll probably read more Crestomancy oh, at for some sure. point. I'd yeah. love to revisit The Magicians of Caprona. So thank you, everyone. Yeah. If you'd like to make a request, you can get in touch on our Instagram, Dragon Babies Podcast, Twitter, Dragon Babies Pod, or website, dragonbabiespodcast.com. We will now announce the next book that we will be covering, Children of Blood and Bone by Tomi Adeyemi. The Sound of Bones. Okay. <laughs> We're not even doing the episode yet. You don't need a sound effect. Yes, I do. This is another contemporary YA book by a Black author. Um, we started with Akata Witch by Nettie Okorafor, um, and we're excited to continue forth in covering some more recent novels. Yeah. So join us. I know our schedule has been a little off lately, but I think we're going to be back on a more consistent one. We've had some stuff going on, as you all have. Yeah. (laughs) 
Wild times. Wild times. Um, so thank you again for listening. We look forward to seeing you next time. We appreciate you. I'm Grace. I'm Madeline. Until next time. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>